everybody, and welcome to another episode of Design Under Influence uh, podcast. This is where we uh, provide education to the people in the architecture, design, and engineering community, um, talk about things that can help them run their practice, uh, talk about technological advances in the industry, and just like to talk to good people that can provide advice. So today, um, we have a very interesting conversation with Leah Bayer. Uh, she's the principal and president of um, Architects Fora. And Leah is going to share with us, you know, her background story and also talk about Architects Fora and the whole process behind that and some of the tools that they use in their fully remote practice. Uh, Leah, welcome. Hi, thanks, Boris. Excited to talk to you today. There's a lot to go over. So this will be fun. A lot to go over. Yes, yes. So we've known each other for a while and I'm very grateful for... Um, you know, our friendship and relationship. I've learned a lot from you over the years. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you here. So let's, thank you. Let's start with, well, the first question I think for our audience who may not know you is just maybe give us some background. Give us some, give us your origin story of how, you know, you became an architect and an owner of the company um, that you're running right now. Sure, let's see. It's always the question of how far back do you go? I uh, <laughs> I was not a Legos kid, so I won't start there. I um, went to Cal Poly for architecture school, uh, having a, a really strong fondness for art and science and math. And I think that's sort of the direction most people get steered into. But I didn't really know what an architect was before going to Cal Poly, interestingly. I had no exposure to that industry. Um, I didn't even quite know if that's what I wanted to do, but there was something really intriguing about the built environment. I actually started in architectural engineering and a minor in fine arts and uh, with the intent of becoming a licensed architect and engineer, very ambitious, kind of dumb, didn't work out very well, could not double major those two at the same time. So I left for a bit, reevaluated and came back as an architecture major. Uh, after graduating, I started practicing in the Bay Area in California. And, you know, at that point, I knew I wanted to become a licensed architect because I had invested in the education, but I never really felt a strong alliance with uh, the traditional image of what an architect was, the designer, you know, the passionate artist who's <laughs> obsessing over details and, you know, can gush about all the different buildings around them and the history of architecture. It just wasn't for me. Um, so I actually, when I started looking for a job, I thought, okay, well, maybe I can start tangential to uh, practice and join as a practice manager or a um, office manager of an architecture firm. <laughs> and I, I actually applied and interviewed for an office manager position and the principal there said, you know, you're way too qualified. And if you want to be an architect, you have to practice architecture, which was wise. Uh, so that was that was in Mountain View in California, and we focused on primarily multifamily residential work and a small firm boutique. And it was great, you know, it was small, so I got a lot of exposure to really every aspect of practicing architecture, but also the business of architecture, and became quite close with the principal there and and looking and helping support more of the financial and the ops and the systems support. Uh, which I had really grown to love in school, actually, while I was working in a medical office and ended up managing a medical practice as my support job to fund my schooling. Um, so it was sort of this thread that had developed as a student and then was continuing in practice of, of really being more of a back-end operational support person, um, while at the same time growing and cultivating my skills as an architect. From there, I, I thought maybe I might want to actually start a firm of my own. I was really excited about what the role of, of this principal architect was doing and the support that he was giving me there. And that's where I uh, actually met up with uh, someone that you had on the show earlier, Jennifer Kretschmer, who I met through my local AIA, just to talk to her about her experience as a firm owner. And I, I had dinner with her, another female principal architect, founder of her own practice, and a colleague of mine who was my age. We had all met each other through our local women in architecture firm just to talk about what does that look like? How do you start a practice? Are we ready? Which was crazy. It was only three years in the practice. <laughs> 
And the, the response from them was really, you know, maybe, maybe practice in a larger firm or try out some other positions first before you dive right into it, uh, which was really great advice. Um, but that friendship and really the, the friendships that I made in my local women in architecture was a catalyst for the type of practice that I was thinking about starting to build. Um, I was really inspired by Jennifer's remote firm uh, model, for example, and she became a strong mentor of mine uh, and really a, a huge reason why I started to, to build and uh, develop this type of firm model that I ended up with. So from that position, I practiced in a larger firm uh, for about a year in San Francisco at Perkins and Well and doing a lot of like corporate tenant improvement mm -hmm. work, which was completely different and not at all for me. It's really cool to see the ins and outs of how really large corporate practice worked, especially one that incorporated really cutting edge uh, research um, and understanding how their research team worked with their uh, architectural team and how sort of this distributed multi-office location um, company worked together. How did staff get shared between offices and different locations? really starting to add to this concept of a more mobile and global remote opportunity. And there, actually, we were allowed to co-locate. Um, and so I was not in the office all the time. I was working from site. I was working at home. I was working in the office. So just really interesting to see the tools that, that started to support that more flexible environment. And from there, I had this crazy opportunity <laughs> um, come by where uh, I had started writing on a website called Quora because I had missed writing. I really enjoy writing for fun. And I would just write, you know, answers to questions about uh, pets, really, animals. And I would tell these funny, creepy stories about my pets um, that were both educational and a little <laughs> strange just for fun. Uh, and I also answered some architecture questions every once in a while because I felt it was my duty as a professional <laughs> to share the knowledge. And uh, someone reached out to me through Cora actually with a direct message with an offer to work on their project in Hawaii, uh, developing 45 acres off the grid with multiple different residences. And I was reading this in the middle of the night one night thinking this has got to be a ridiculous scam. There's no way that this would come across my plate out of that nowhere. That sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, it's either going to be the coolest opportunity of my life or, you know, a serial killer. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm going to make this gamble. And I said, okay, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about this. Shared all my contact information, met up with a client, not a serial killer, actually a real project. And that's how I started uh, really the basis of my practice. I started flying out to Hawaii on weekends to do this feasibility study, doing a little moonlighting. And it turned out to be the perfect opportunity to finally jump um, and take advantage of all of these different parts and pieces that I had been learning over time. I know this is like a long-winded story. I don't know how detailed or not detailed to get, but there's been a lot that's happened in the past. No, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I guess you mentioned that's how you started. Your first project was in Hawaii. Um, what happened then? Yeah, so I, I I started working on this site development. Uh, he, the client had a project manager living on site, and we worked really closely together on sort of mapping out what this development looked like. And I started to get to a place where I felt really comfortable with the amount of work, uh, that this was a long going project and that I could scale up the team. So it was my first uh, hire I was ready to bring on. And I knew that I wanted to build a very specific culture that was going to be supportive of the type of people that were often just like pushed out of the industry or not supported in our industry because there's a lot of challenges that we have with toxic cultures and a lack of support for women and people of color and um, parents and caregivers. And I, I, you know, through these different opportunities in managing a medical, pra medical practice and then helping support operations for both a small and a large firm, seeing what was possible, I felt like, you know, why not, why not do something totally different? Especially with Jennifer kind of being the case study for, okay, I, I could do a remote practice. I can build something completely unique and it'll be successful. So I put out an ad for my first hire uh, on Indeed. I wasn't sure what I would get. 
And uh, I got a response from a woman named Victoria who had quit her job in New York and bought a camper van with her boyfriend. And they were traveling the country and climbing together uh, to find their forever home. And she was looking for just part-time work that she could do from a laptop from her camper van. And she was lovely. She was the the perfect person to work with, uh, sort of the right level of experience and flexibility. And she was really comfortable with, you know, me being very honest about what this was, you know, I'm starting a practice. I don't know how much work I'll be able to provide, but I'm looking for long-term people to help build up this company and carry the success of the firm and build something really unique. So I hired her and every time I talked to her, she was in a different like state uh, doing different things, which was really cool. And there was really no issue with it. It worked It worked quite well. Um, we were able to collaborate uh, remotely uh, and work on one-on-one. And through that relationship with Victoria working on this project, it really sort of told me, okay, this is, this is something that I could do. Uh, so over the course of really uh, two years, I built up the team to five and hadn't met really any of them in person. <laughs> uh, and um, so we decided to have our first retreat together. And this was beginning of 2020, really right before COVID hit. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we were able to get together in person, uh, talk about everything that we had gone through and start really planning together what this practice looked like and what did we want to do Uh, What does the culture feel like? Who is our ideal client? What type of work do we want to do? And while the Hawaii project was really exciting and fun, you know, it was a completely off-grid, very highly sustainable project, um, allowed us to push the envelope there. It was also serving one person for like a period of time. And we just felt very strongly about wanting to provide good design to more people that really needed it most. Um, so that was the goal. Is how how can we serve our community better and have more of an impact? Uh, so that was great. And then and then COVID hit, <laughs> and then the world changed drastically. Uh, but for us, it really didn't change at all. We were already set up on remote systems. Our workflow wasn't um, impeded in any way. There was a bit of rockiness with I think just clients not knowing whether or not they wanted to continue. Uh, But one of my team members actually had been working for another practice because she was part-time with me. I didn't have enough work with, for her. And we had, you know, agreed that it would be totally fine for her to work both for me and for this other firm. She had literally just been hired. uh, And then the day she was supposed to start is when everyone was told to shelter in place. So she never actually went into the office with that practice, but the firm owner there uh, freaked out, you know, didn't know, he didn't know what to do, uh, and how to handle being remote. And they had a lot of work, a lot of projects and had just brought on this new team member and actually needed more support than that. And so she really, uh, facilitated this collaboration and said, you know, Hey, I work for another company that's fully remote. They have the systems in place to support uh, a remote practice um, and they have a great team and they're looking to do more work with impact. And this firm uh, happened to be doing really primarily affordable housing. Um, and so she suggested we get together and maybe we can help support them and train them how to work remotely. Um, and in turn, they could use our team for support and we can Uh, collaborate on a a project of theirs that was moving pretty quickly. So it was just this beautiful opportunity to partner with a firm and help one another out in this otherwise chaotic environment. So looking for, you know, what are those, what's being shaken up in the world and how can we take advantage of that in in a positive way? And so we did, we connected and everything just felt really great about us partnering together. We had similar interests and vision and mission alignment. And so we helped them go remote. We worked together for about six months. And in that time, I started to get to know their project manager uh, on their team, Sarah. And uh, after about the six month mark, we just started having these casual conversations about, you know, what does the future of architecture look like? She'd really enjoyed working with our team. Um, really enjoyed actually the experience of working remotely, but with a a team that's really focused on this strong and fun and playful culture 
um, and shared with me that it was interesting because she felt stronger connection to our team who she had never met before than the team that she was working for in person, just because there is that intentionality um, and authenticity centered around the culture. So we had these like philosophical conversations for a couple months and and finally she proposed to me uh, an offer. She said, you know, the firm owner here has told me he wants to retire. I don't want to run a practice. I love working on projects. You love running a practice and don't really want to work on the projects as much. Maybe we could do this together. And what do you think about that? And uh, it was a like a totally unexpected offer and a really exciting opportunity because it essentially satisfied our goal from our retreat of being able to make a bigger impact if we were to take on this portfolio of affordable housing work and carry on this beautiful legacy um, that the firm founder had created. So we talked a bit more about that. She brought in a good friend of hers named Kate that I had been hearing about for years in the Silicon Valley because apparently everyone's like, Kate's awesome. You guys are going to be best friends. You need to meet each other. And so finally I met Kate through this opportunity um, and the three of us just jived really strong. Uh, we all kind of see the world in similar ways, but we function and tackle it very differently. So we have really diverse but complementary skills, um, whereas mine is the business focus. Sarah's is really the design and um, client relationship focus. And Kate has this really stellar technical and construction background. Um, so between the three of us, there's just this really cool synergy and opportunity to level up what uh, my practice had been and what the two of them had been doing independently. So we went for it. We said, okay, let's <laughs> let's start negotiating. And, you know, and usually a firm transition uh, of this type takes like five years. You know, it's like planning for five yeah. years and then years of execution. But uh, he was ready to go. He was ready to retire and we were ready to take it on. And so we went through this really accelerated schedule. I think we were technically negotiating between like November and February of the next year. And February 1st of the following year is when we officially took over as owners. That's very, that's very cool. That's awesome. Let's, uh, let's put a pin on that for now. I want to follow up with a couple of other questions. Um, you mentioned culture multiple times as, mm -hmm. and to many business owners, culture is very important. Um, it's an important aspect. I guess it's, it's what makes a business a business, right? It's what makes a business their business. But I guess from your standpoint, especially running a fully remote force, can you um, kind of just, Explain, you know, explain why culture is so important, specifically mm -hmm. for running a remote practice. Yeah, I, you know, I knew we wouldn't have the um, opportunity to have organic and spontaneous interactions uh, that you have when you're in person with one another and that I couldn't depend on that just happening without any sort of framework or intention around it. I wanted to build a team. Um, my vision for building a practice was never about, you know, me as the face of the company and the name of the company. I wanted to have this really just like successful, almost horizontal structure of experts that were working together really collaboratively. And in order to do that, you need people who are going to stay with one another for the long term and really like working with each other for the long term. So culture was critical to that. Um, so I, I understood that it would need to be something that was really intentional. And, you know, I, I've just learned by being authentic um, with who I am and sharing that openly, rather than being afraid of, you know, oh, is this something that we should talk about at work? Or is this like too personal? Or, oh, we should just be focused on work 100% of the time. That just didn't ever feel right to me. Um, that was kind of like a very corporate way of handling things. So I, I thought, okay, first I'm going to emulate being my authentic self, just honest with my team, very transparent with my team, uh, and lean into that. And then really lean into all of the different beautiful aspects of the people on my team and elevating the fun, authentic parts of them to share with one another and create different opportunities for 
um, you know, regular uh, personal and fun collaboration. And so it's been, it's been kind of a process of trying things out and implementing um, new uh, intentions and not habits, but uh, traditions, really creating traditions within the company that help contribute to the culture. And so what that looks like um, in practice is, you know, fundamentally we work together on Slack. That's the, <laughs> essentially our version of working next to one another. Um, so very simply, instead of just having Slack channels for our projects, we have piles of Slack channels that are, you know, for sharing ideas, for sharing like funny memes, for sharing things that make you feel good, a venting Slack channel when you're feeling frustrated, um, really supporting the full range of emotions of what people want to share with one another. We also uh, have tried to really invest in this um, spirit of education and curiosity. And so our team meetings, rather than just like checking in and telling people what you've been working on for an hour, which nobody really cares about, um, we use that opportunity to educate one another. Uh, so we'll either bring in an expert to talk to us like a lunch and learn, or we'll assign one person to share out on um, a topic of research or expertise of their own. And each person on our team is given eight hours a week to invest in knowledge uh, development and developing the subject matter expertise of their own passion. And by investing in that, that sort of goes beyond the practice of architecture. Um, and it brings in this really beautiful uh, diversity of thought and um, and knowledge and sharing that with one another helps us get to know each other better and understanding what drives us. So that's been really critical. Um, we have crits weekly, which aren't really crits. They're more like uh, charrettes, design charrettes. So we use Miro um, and post a design problem in Miro and everyone jumps in and tackles it together. Uh, and then through the practice of using Miro, <laughs> we have team members who have adopted that and brought into our team meetings where we have a like a feel good opener to all of our team meetings um, using Miro in a different way to do something like, OK, we're going to build custom monsters for today on Miro. And it's just this like really fun opportunity to, you know, do a similar exercise as a crit. But instead of building architecture, we're building monsters and having fun with each other and playing and giving ourselves the time and space to do that with, with one another has been really, really helpful. Um, so I think it's it's really, you know, infusing trust, transparency, fun, authenticity, and, um, you know, curiosity and knowledge sharing into all that we do. Um, and constantly trying to Put that out there as a firm leader and my partners do the same as well as being really supportive and collaborative with one another uh, so it's can't say that there's like a system that's written down that says these are all the things that we do for our culture it's a lot of little parts and pieces and infusing that to every single thing that we do throughout the day um, and even in our relationships with our, our partners and our, our clients and consultants um, that help strengthen that so awesome Awesome. That's, that's great. That's great. I mean, um, education, curiosity is what always, well, fun as well, is what always we're trying to uh, implement in our team um, as well. And kind of have similar, our, you know, our meetings are more about training and sharing uh, with each other um, in terms of what we might have found throughout the week, what could be better done, or, you know, how we can improve. Mm -hmm. um, just in general, our side of the practice as well. So yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm I mean, we all need to feel like we're we we all need to feel like we're learning and growing and contributing um, to something that has like meaning and purpose. And really, truly, curiosity and knowledge sharing is the core of that. I think that that's not just in a remote practice, but as we're moving forward for all firms who are dealing with right now, which is a, a really like difficulty with finding talent and keeping the right people on your team and motivating people to be together in the office if you're trying to get people in the office, I think really leaning into the opportunities for education and uh, you know knowledge uh, growth and sharing um, and leveraging that interest and curiosity and mission alignment is gonna be the way that people can do that. For sure, for sure. 
let's follow let's follow this up so um you mentioned some of the things you're doing and i what i guess what are some tools and these can be technological tools or tools in general outside of what what you already explained help you a maintain that culture but also maintain kind of the collaborative aspect of running a remote firm and you know just making sure that everybody's on the same page that things are actually moving and your practice is actually running as you know like clockwork they say right so what are some of those things yeah absolutely the tools are really important i mean in a remote environment, I, I literally just have my computer uh, or my phone or an iPad or whatever it is. I don't have, there's not like physical things really on my desk, which is really weird. It's such a change. Um, I started school when everything was hand drafting. So I have seen this, this shift from, I actually got in trouble for using Photoshop on a school project, like truly. Uh, they're like, you can't use the computer. This is a hand, this is a hand class. <laughs> So it's odd for me to have everything in this, not even on my computer, but in the cloud. Um, But it is the backbone and foundation for facilitating uh, what we do. So I mentioned Slack. That really is our primary um, sort of just like organic communication tool. Uh, We have uh, different Slack channels and different Slack teams so people can collaborate and coordinate on there. Uh, We really like using also the advanced features of Slack like huddling. Um, So you need to jump on a quick call or just have a huddle open so you can hear somebody working and it feels like you're sitting next to somebody in the office and, you know, just kind of chatting while you work is is fun. And our team has started to host open huddle sessions on a regular basis. Um, Then we have, you know, more formalized discussion and assignment um, tracking, we use a tool called monday.com. And that is, that's everything from managing our team agendas, uh, to managing our client project assignments, to managing our internal projects, um, and even tracking like our operational plan, our strategic plan, our leadership plans. Um, I even track like my invoicing on there and we have CRM in there. So it's a, it's a really robust tool if you invest in building it out. <laughs> it takes it takes some time, um, but it has been really great for our project teams uh, to see who's working on what, to communicate with each other on different tasks, building out templates in there so that, you know, next project starts, you have all of your tasks in order, um, people know what they're working on. And I don't know, it's just kind of fun to like check things off the list and have little automations, uh, you know, notify people when things are ready to be reviewed, for example. Um, So that has been a really, really important tool for us to make sure that we are on track with our projects, meeting our deadlines and getting everything done. Um, And then, you know, from a, a, a drafting and modeling standpoint, we use Revit and we use it with BIM 360, which is... ABC Pro, which is now going to be like construction cloud something. I don't know. They keep changing. They rename it every year. So uh, (laughs) next time we talk, it'll be completely something different. (laughs) But it is the thing that allows us to all work on a model at the same time. Um, Our projects are pretty large. So the, the affordable housing developments are in sort of a hundred unit range, I would say, um, which takes more than one person working on it at a time. So it's it's really important for us to be able to have as many people as we need jumping in the model. Um, in addition to, we also work with independent contractors. So we have our core team of full-time employees, and then we have uh, team members that are independent contractors that push in on a part-time basis. And we provide the Med360 licenses for them to jump into those projects and support them where needed. Um, so it allows us to be flexible, not just with uh, our current team, but kind of expanding that as needed and bringing people in as needed, but still maintaining control um, and fidelity of the, of the primary model. Um, so that's the, the sort of modeling and production tool. And... Yeah, and then and then in general, you know, we use Google uh, instead of Microsoft. So we've got you know Google Docs, Sheets, Drive, everything stored in the Drive. Um, we use Google Meet for meetings, Google Calendar for shared calendars and visibility. And I, I think really the philosophy behind 
behind how we use our tools is most important and maybe more important than the tools themselves, which is, you know, what are the tools that are going to offer transparency and clarity into what we're doing? Um, what are the tools that are going to facilitate the most collaboration between one another? Um, and tools that are not so like micro that there's so many different tools that we have to use. So, so which ones can we use that are offering the most valuable uh, within one space? So we're constantly trying out and testing out new tools, but trying to be very mindful of not, I don't know, overloading or confusing or <laughs> burdening our staff with too many changes and too many things and too many places to look. Um, one of those that we have been working through and testing out lately is Monograph. And that really is for me and our project managers uh, to manage and oversee uh, staffing resourcing, um, financial information, project planning and scheduling. We used to do a lot of that on Monday and it just was really difficult for us to manage there. So working with the tool that's specifically designed for that has been really great. So that's been a more recent add to our suite. Awesome. Because I did want to ask you to kind of get in more details on the whole uh, merger and acquisition process mm -hmm. for uh, Architects Forum. Uh, but before that, I want to ask you, follow up, follow up on this tools conversation and ask you, is there a tool that you wish you had right now? Ooh. And what would it do? Well, there's two. <laughs> there are okay. two tools. One of them is perhaps um, coming into existence, we saw a back end of a startup company recently and are uh, going to jump in on their alpha testing. Uh, that is a browser-based modeling and design tool that anyone can jump in and collaborate on that has a direct import and export capability with Revit. Right now, the workflow is between sort of the initial conceptual design and then moving into Revit for more detailed BIM and construction documentation. I think everybody deals with that. That transition between those phases is cumbersome and burdensome. Um, and so there's some really interesting promise there with having that capability, but also still having the like live collaboration capability on the earlier phases. So that's cool. I think that's coming. Um, awesome. For me, you know, not to, you can only do so much as a startup, but what I'm finding in working with Monograph and Monday and our accounting platform is I'm still missing some things um, as it relates to seeing both the high level practice financial management information and like low level project financial and resourcing information. Still not quite there. Um, so we're testing, we're looking, we're hoping that Monograph will just continue to add all the features that we need. Uh, but I still find myself using spreadsheets more than I would like to. <laughs> I don't think those are ever going away, unfortunately. I, I mean, I wish they would. But. I know. So that's that's sort of like a dream. Can I have all of that in one space? Um, that would be really cool. I, you know, I would love, this is like more like sci-fi level, but I would love some way for us to feel like we're together in a space um, as a remote team. You know, we're far away from one another. We've got people in Alaska and New York and our projects are in Silicon Valley. They're in the Bay Area. And so one of our struggles is construction administration. How do we manage that? How do we get people access? It'd be really great to have a tool um, that we could use during construction administration or even just like site visits that brings people literally into the site. And I don't know if it's like a VR, probably a VR type of environment um, that overlays into like an AR environment in the reality. Uh, but I'd love, I'd love something that lets us have people walk through spaces that is not just like walking around with a, you know, a phone and a camera kind of taking a video, but really letting people be there and explore on their own. Um, I think that that would be really valuable for just, you know, for teams that have projects that are not immediately near them and, um, you know, let you kind of learn and oversee what's happening. 
And maybe there's something like that that exists. I don't know. We haven't seen it. I mean, I it sounds like there's parts of it that exists. I don't know if it's all in one too, but that's definitely something that I think is closer to existence um, and something we can start researching or looking into for sure. I mean, I cool. could dream of all kinds of technology oh, yeah. that I would like to have. <laughs> that could be like an hour-long conversation in itself. <laughs> well, and that's awesome because I love having these conversations, right? And um, I appreciate the fact that, you know, you and your team understand the importance of technology and the tools because they, they're they specifically developed to help you mm-hmm. run your practice and save you money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what happens a lot and, you know, I'm not trying to sh- to throw shade on anybody, but um, like people get sold something and then they expect it to work that way. And as soon as it doesn't work that way, they're not willing to invest more time into figuring that out. And they just yeah. say, you know, it's a bad tool or we can't use it. Or, um, so I appreciate the fact that you're always experimenting and trying to make it fit and try to make it work. Yeah. I mean, never n- nothing is going to be perfect. And, you know, we have to adapt as much as our tools have to adapt. It's not just like a one. You can't expect a tool to come back to your way of doing things that you've been doing for 30 years because you need to advance and change the way you're doing things sometimes. Right. So yeah, I, I I think that's important. And also, you know, I think that there's a lot of fear that tools are going to replace architects and designers in the future. And, um, you know, what I have found and what we really try to leverage is not tools that are trying to replace people, you know, like not automating communication, for example, and not, um, I don't know, automating the important design aspects of getting to know your client and what their needs are, but automating the things that we don't really need a personal touch on that allows people to do that part of their work better, to have those closer connections with their clients and with the community and um, with our consultants. Um, And so our tools actually create better relationships between one another because we're not spending so much time on the back-end minutia administrative processes. Uh, So I think you will always need that personal touch and that human-to-human connection. And I think it's just the more tech that we have that enables that and lets us spend more time in that and then learning and growing and testing and developing uh, better. So we love it. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. That's a great, uh, great way of summarizing it. So uh, let's jump, I guess, let's jump forward. Um, and let's, let's talk about the M&A process, because that's very interesting to me as well. Um, you know, because we're, we're kind of in a similar boat looking at, a, at acquiring a smaller company. Um, so I would love to hear what your experience is like, and I'm sure it's going to help other uh, people who are listening to this, uh, kind of trying to maybe thinking about acquiring some uh, another firm or, you know, merging with another firm. Um, I guess let's start there. So um, the three of you decided to purchase this business, I guess, and uh, we talked pre-show in this one transaction, you mentioned you've kind of covered three different ownership aspects. Um, so just share that with me. Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is a really important topic and we don't hear enough about it. Um, there is a huge population of architects that are retiring and most architecture firms are small firms, sole proprietors, um, small to mid-size. And if we don't somehow pay more attention to this or create uh, better education or uh, facilitation for um, firm transitions, there's so much knowledge and legacy and um, relationships that we're losing every time a firm owner just closes up shop and lets it all fade away. So I think we're doing a disservice to our our, um, profession by not facilitating more of these. Um, and I think that there's just, you know, there's like a, a mystery and this feeling of, you know, oh, I could never buy a firm or buy into firm. There's that I can't even pay my own bills. Like, how would that ever happen? Um, there's a lot of fear and mystery and, and complexity behind what is involved in firm transition and firm ownership. Um, it's not actually that that difficult to be honest once you get into it uh it's a little scary to get to start the process you're working with like attorneys and, and lawyers and uh and cpas and just, just like a lot of you know the negotiating process is stressful um 
but truly what we what we started with and came in with was this appreciation of the original firm owner's legacy um, and the love for the portfolio. And so I think that's really important is that you need to have a really strong reason why you're entering into this process, not just because it's made available to you. I actually was offered this in the past with a former office to take over, um, but there was a lot of incentive for the firm owner to to leave, to retire, but really when I evaluated, not a lot of value and benefit to me to take over this portfolio. It didn't align with what I wanted to do. But in this case, it did. We really aligned with our team's values and our mission um, and thinking about the difference between trying to build up an affordable portfolio on your own and starting your own practice like I did and getting into that work. A, just breaking into it without a background is like impossible because you have to have a portfolio in order to qualify for new work. And how do you get that? Um, so it would have taken a very long time and B, the projects take a long time to develop. So in order to just have something in your portfolio to prove that you do the work, it's going to take a decade at least. And that's, that's really hard to swallow. Um, so this is an opportunity to have that portfolio and qualify for new work and have existing clients and just like, grab the bull by its horns while it's you know full full speed ahead um and so that that was really thrilling for us it's a great opportunity so there's a lot of value for us in um this process i came into it from uh, the perspective of an existing firm owner that had a team that had systems that was really merging with this other practice um and so i had to act on the behalf of my staff and you know, make sure that this is the right deal, not just for myself, but for my team. Whereas my partner, Sarah, she worked for that practice already. And she was considering it from the perspective of an internal transition. So stepping up from her principal position to being an owner. And so what does that relationship and handoff look like with the founder? And what does that relationship look like with now also leading a team that's merging in? Uh, and then our third partner, Kate, was coming from it from a completely different perspective, uh, totally external to the process. She was working for another large firm at the time and really hitting a ceiling um, when it came to stepping up her leadership and didn't, wasn't really sure if she wanted to, um, to be honest, at, at that point. But with this opportunity and seeing where her place was in being a, a leader and a firm owner, um, she was really excited about it. And so she was just buying in stock from an external standpoint altogether. So you have the internal transition, the external buy-in, and then the merger and acquisition all happening at once with one founder who's just trying to sell his practice and retire. Um, so it was complicated, I think more complicated for those reasons, because we had to make sure that all of our interests um, aligned and that we all felt like this was the right deal for us. But interestingly enough, in, in making sure that the three of us were aligned, Sarah, Kate and I, um, we got to a point where we realized we were so excited about the opportunity of working with one another that regardless of you know whether or not this deal actually happened, that we were going to do it anyway, that we were going to partner anyway um, and build up a company that the way we wanted to build it up. So that was a really beautiful thing that happened. And I think also a really critical thing uh, for anybody who's getting into a firm transition um, or leadership transition is you need to know who your partners are. It is a serious commitment. It is a more serious commitment than marriage. Like Truly, we had to sign so much paperwork <laughs> and we had to get into really, really difficult conversations. Like, what if this person dies? Like, what happens? Or, you know, what if this person isn't performing? What do we do there? Or what What if, you know, they're disabled for a period of time? What do we do? And, you know, it's, they're really deeply personal conversations and um, challenging scenarios to work through in your head. Uh, and you better you better be good with committing to this person for the long term um, because you really are uh, aligning yourself in a, in a more, really more like meaningful and legal way than a, than a marriage is. Um, so it was great. Finding the right partners, 
key, critical. It's what made this whole thing successful. One of us could sort of lose it and be emotional and not not sure if they're going to make it through the process and the other two could lift each other up. Um, and that's sort of been our, our MO um, as we've continued and taken on as we have this really great balance and partnership. Um, it has made me much more sane than just being a solo uh, firm owner uh, is having partners. Um, and then the way that we like technically the way that we navigated it for people that are interested, you know, we hired a consultant who had worked with people in this capacity before the firm owner also had a consultant um, who was helping him on his behalf with identifying, you know, the um, value of the company and negotiating the terms. And so they sort of supported us and spoke to one another on each other's behalf. Um, but then we also had a lot of conversations about, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? What are we trying to get out of this? This is what you want. This is what we need. How do we meet in the middle? And finding the right structure that worked for us. Um, he wanted the legacy to continue. He wanted a certain amount for retirement. We wanted the legacy to continue, so we line there. But we didn't want to go into debt. And so how do we navigate this process without really having to put any money down? Um, but B, not commit to a purchase price and uh, you know a payment structure that's going to be above and beyond what the firm is going to be able to support. So I went through and I created a budget and I projected forward, you know, what are we going to be earning based off of the backlog of this company? What are our anticipated expenses? And then what can we afford to pay um, on a, you know, quarterly or annual basis for the purchase of this practice? That's our baseline. And then let's see if we can do an above and beyond deal. And on top of that, so if we're extra successful, then we can pay more. And that's that's really how the, the final, like, deal was negotiated was based off of mission alignment and then just like hard facts numbers budget <laughs> uh and it worked it, you know it worked really well and um yeah he's happy he was incentivized to support us and bring us new work we're happy we're doing really well our clients are happy um and so the the actual day one sort of step in felt like jumping into a rocket ship but it has felt really good from day one. It's just, we did the hard work up front to make sure we were we knew what we were getting into, um, to make sure that everybody was had aired out all of their conditions and needs um, and that we were all aligned from day one, from that point forward. So we took over in February, as I said, uh, as OJK Architecture and Planning. We did some transitions with our the existing clients so they knew who we were. Uh, and then I brought my team in about a month later and about six months into the process, once everyone was familiar with us is when we went through the rebranding process um, to become Architects Fora, which was really exciting and fulfilling and involved everyone on our team. And uh, we are thrilled with the results and with our new identity that really represents all of us on the team now and our trajectory moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations again and again <laughs> um, on going through this process and yeah, uh, creating something that's uh, so amazing. Um, I I don't have any more questions. Are there is there anything that you want to bring up and share with our audience? Um, kind of as, uh, you know, follow on to this conversation. I uh, I mean, it's been a pleasure. Just I feel like we've touched a lot. I think the only you know the the overall theme for me, and this has all happened in a short period of time, but I have found for myself that I am happiest when I am pursuing things that are authentic to me, what I love, what my values are, um, and not what's expected of me. And I think that that's really difficult in this industry. I think it is slowly changing, but we have an educational system that promotes a certain type of architect that shows you a history of a certain type of architect and who that is. And it is not usually not a woman, usually not a person of color, usually not a non-artistic designer. Um, and so that could be challenging. We also have firm cultures that will perpetuate that and sort of perpetuate a toxic culture. Uh, and I think we lose a lot of good people and so my hope 
is that we will change. But in the meantime, I think the the message that I like to share is just like always be yourself. Know what's right for you. Don't do things just because other people say that's the way it's always been done and that's the way we do it. There's a lot of leverage right now in the world for things to change and shift. And I think it's the right time for us to demand different, demand better. And as firm leaders to experiment and try different things and be better and provide a better, more inclusive platform for a more diverse industry of professionals. And we need that. We desperately need that. We need full representation in this industry to design the cities for everyone because they have not been for a very long time and the system is broken. So be yourself, love what you do, try new things, experiment, and let's all let's all just try and do better. <laughs> That's my soapbox and I'll get off of it. Awesome, awesome. Those are great words of wisdom, by the way. Um, do you want to share any resources, any contact information uh, where people may want to find you? Um, anything else? Uh, yeah, anything you want to share? Yeah, um, you can find our, you know, our practice is Architects Fora, F-O-R-A, um, architectsfora.com or Instagram if you want to follow that. I am usually found everywhere as Leah Alyssa uh, is what I go by, um, but you can contact me by email at leah at architectsfora.com. Um, I am happy to connect. I love, love talking business with people. So if you've got questions or ideas or just want to say hi, um, please do reach out. I, I will appreciate that. Great, great. Well, thank you very much uh, for spending the time with us. This has been uh, very educational for me, and I'm sure it's going to be very educational for our audience. Uh, so thank you again, Leah. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's been a lot of fun.